1: I'm looking at the clock here, and I do mean the clock as the seconds tick off. You guys have just a matter of shopping days left. But that's not your biggest concern. Your biggest concern is today. Do you guys know what today is exactly? Felipe Corral Jr., Darren Urban Pauley Podcast, today is i'm just going to answer it because i can tell you're bewildered right now at the line of scrimmage you don't know what you're looking at there's an exotic blitz scheme coming your way and you've never seen it before you're a rookie quarterback it's moving too fast today felipe is the winter solstice do you know what that means it's the day with the shortest amount of daylight okay And I'm thinking, in fact, you know what, I have the, it's right, if you want more detail on that, and I haven't heard either one of you ask for it, but I'll give it to you. It's the precise moment, Darren, of the winter solstice where the Earth's northern hemisphere is tilted furthest away from the sun, resulting in the year's shortest day.
0: See, I got to be honest, when you asked me with Christmas so close, but what am I concerned about today? Yeah. I, I thought the answer was going to be COVID. I thought <laughs> no, I thought COVID was always the answer, especially around the NFL right
1: now. No. Well, that, that's sort of the given. That That's the default. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to tell you about just what's singular to today. And, and I bring this up because maybe just maybe, maybe you, you know, Darren, if you weren't so snarky off the top of Cardinals yeah. Underground brought you, to you by you. Pacific Office Automation. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe this might be a lead-in to one of your fine columns in azcardinals.com okay. that perhaps the Cardinals' season has been emulating the amount of daylight. That okay. as 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 the daylight has waned and decreased, so have the Cardinals. But now there truly is a new dawn. Oh, because every day after today, there's going to be a little more daylight out there and sunshine. And maybe just maybe that'll mimic the path of the cardinal season instead of just the moon.
0: See again, early day, early nighttime. I'm thinking Felipe going and hitting the bars earlier. So, but that actually makes some sense, Paul. I I could understand where you're going with that. Where uh, the uh, what, what's the saying? The 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 night is always darkest before the dawn, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on that. one. Uh, you're you not know, working with me, but I'll work with you. Well,
0: I appreciate that. You know, you've always been a better man than I. <laughs> no, but that's... I I would say that ultimately. It can only get better after this weekend, right? Light or no light, please let that light at the end of the tunnel being more daylight and not, you know, the train on the other end.
2: I mean, honestly, going to your point, you started off that sentence by saying um, something about Christmas shopping. And honestly, (laughs) that was... What was on my mind? I we're at the all over the place right and now. I, it was. It's the 21st as we record this podcast, and in my head, I'm like, "Well, Christmas is is a Saturday, and my shopping isn't done." I wasn't thinking anywhere near where you were. Well, going. you know
0: what? You know what? The Cardinals could help you out with that. Gave you a gift that keeps on giving, which would be a win on Christmas, right? I mean, you wouldn't even have to wrap that sucker.
2: <laughs> but see, not just a win, but a playoff bird. That's right. Yeah, you're right. That is the gift that keeps on giving. At this point, though. Do I want to take that risk on Christmas <laughs> Day? Like, What happens if Look, it doesn't go in our favor? We're, we're,
0: we're all in right now, guys. I mean, the, the reality is, is it doesn't matter what else you fill your loved one's stockings with or what you put under the tree. We're all going to be there Saturday. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be living along with 70,000 of our closest allies in this case and saying, really, hopefully the Cardinals pull this win out because obviously – a Christmas Day result that ends not in a win, I'm not even saying the word right now, uh, would be suboptimal for, I think, everybody in that building.
1: You're right. Don't say win. Let's just focus on the effort. Yeah. Okay? And and, and I'm confident the effort will be a lot better for one reason and one reason only. And that Because, honestly, if you're looking at a three-game home winning streak and you're looking at the circumstances of coming out and playing a game on Christmas night – Do you think Christmas night makes it better or worse? Everything you suffered from at home, the possibility of distractions and losing your focus, and maybe you don't have that edge, and us against the world, and everything you supposedly had on the road until Motown. We'll get to that in a little bit. Isn't every one of those conditions exacerbated by playing a game at home on Christmas night? You're coming off Christmas Eve, you know, Christmas morning with the kids for a lot of these guys. There's one thing that saves their bacon. It's on national TV. And the prospect of getting embarrassed in front of a national TV audience, I think, guarantees their best effort a- and brings the intensity and the juice and the urgency and everything that was missing in Detroit, according to the players and what they told the media.
0: Well, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, obviously the first two primetime games haven't ended exactly how they wanted it, and, and I don't even know if they played – as well as they could have in those games, despite the, you know, especially early in those games. But
1: but the energy was good in those I, games. The execution would, was yeah, sloppy I in would, both games.
0: I tend to agree with you. I, I do think, but honestly, and I believe this in my heart of hearts. I really do, Paul and Felipe. I believe in my heart of hearts if this was being kicked off at Sunday at 2, or whatever a run-of-the-mill weekend game would be, I believe that they would be ready for this game because of what they've been through the last two weeks and because of, you know, where they stand. I mean, this is, we're reaching critical mass here. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. You know, you, you've got three games left. After this game, you have to go on a road trip to Dallas, which is, you know, tied for you in the standings. Um, it's, it's a tough road to hoe if you don't perform like you need to.
2: Would you guys say there's a lot of implications on this specific game? I mean, you're coming off a three-game home losing streak, if Correct. I'm not mistaken. Correct. You come, you're coming back from that that loss in Week 15. It's yeah. Christmas. You're once again on primetime where you're 0-2 this season where you haven't necessarily played your best football on primetime with the chance to you know, clinch a playoff berth. But most importantly, I think and this is just my opinion, obviously that's why I'm on this podcast. I can bring my own my own theories, right? Let's hear it. Bring <laughs> let's, it. Let's hope so. <laughs> let's try. bring it. it. It's pretty simple, though, because I feel like a lot of these players, especially your veterans, especially your superstars, they've been on the fence by saying this isn't the team from last year, right? There's a lot of similarities to last year as how this season is winding down, but I feel like they're even more mo- motivated to show people that, you know what, we have the leadership in the locker room. We have the talent. This is definitely not the team from last year. And I think it's there's no better opponent to face on Saturday than Jonathan Taylor and that Colts uh, run offense because you've been struggling against the runoff, uh, run offense a lot this season. And what better way to turn the ship around than on prime time with this, uh, a chance to clinch a playoff berth and so much more on the line. Although Chase Edmonds, to start this week, was pretty blunt
1: with the media, saying in part, hey, last year we folded, quote-unquote. I was the first one to say that. True, he did say that at yes. the end of last year. And then he cited the need for more urgency. And his opinion, the ability for the Cardinals to embrace the pressure mm-hmm. to finish this season, those were his words, says it has been addressed in the locker room. Yeah. But to Felipe's point, they got to prove it. They can talk about it. But right now, guess what? And I said this coming off the Motown road trip on Monday. I said, right now, it's the ghost of Christmas past. They're getting a visit all over again. And Ebenezer Scrooge is having a nightmare right now because, yes, this is unfolding a lot like the Christmas of 2020 and what went down. And by that, I mean the Cardinals going down five out of seven games at the end last season. And Wolf and I, you know, arguing, of course, Wolf trying for ratings. I don't know if it sweeps month or what, and he's on the air, and he's (laughs) saying – He's always chasing those clicks. This is the worst loss in 30 years. And I'm like, really? I mean, 50 ain't nothing. And and, and we got into that. But here was my point, is that it felt a lot like week 16 a year ago, the lack of energy – and yeah. buy in again that Niners loss and Wolf's, Wolf's like well it was worse this time I'm like no last year that was really their last best chance they still have three games left to get into the playoffs a year ago that really was their last best chance before they realized the Rams are going to be all banged up and starting John Wolford
0: I, I would agree with that and I would also agree that you know are, are the Lions a good team absolutely not for all the reasons that we talked about last week uh But they also have a better record in the last five games right now than the Cardinals do. Ouch. And so it's not like they had mailed in what they were doing. And, you know, I I just think the 49ers, I I think you can make so many more arguments that the 49ers game was worse. I mean, at least the Lions had their starting quarterback. The 49ers had their third-string quarterback.
2: That was at home, though, right? Yeah, Yeah.
0: and that was was at home. And it was their last real best chance, although they were given a reprieve for that Rams game. I mean – this team still is 10-4. and four. I know nobody wants to hear it right now. Trust me, I've heard from the fans a million times how they don't want to hear how this team is 10-4. and four. But guess what? 10-4 and four still puts you in a pretty decent position compared to where they were last year. So, uh, you know, I, you
1: know. Hey, the best thing that happened to the Arizona Cardinals is that Jared Goff is out of the NFC West. Because they've lost seven in a row to stinking Jared Goff yeah. right now. And so, yeah, to your point, I mean, they lost to C.J. Bethard and Jeff Wilson a year ago. So, okay, we, we can argue just how bad. It was a bad loss. A very a, bad loss. And, it was and, the and,
0: worst of the season. We can say that okay. with, with certainty. Yes.
1: And, and, and if you treat an NFL season as if you're an employee, and basically that's what this is the guy's profession. If you're in that locker room, this is your job. Okay, so you look at the season you say, the bye week, that's my vacation during the season. Well, in my opinion, the Cardinals have also taken two sick days. One against Carolina, one against the Lions, because those were two games that they just came out and they were sick of playing football. They just not bring the needed energy to stop a guy off the street like a Craig Reynolds out of Kutztown State, an undrafted guy, removed a year from the college game if he can do that, what is Jonathan Taylor going to do if you don't bring some intensity?
2: Paul? I do want to ask you, though, because I was talking to some of our videographers that were at that Lions game, and from the get-go, one of them said that the energy in the stadium was just oh. nowhere to be found. And I feel like this team, they they play off the energy from the opposing fans, right? A lot of these hostile env- environments, you talk about the Tennessees, the the Browns, the Rams at SoFi. A lot of these atmospheres, you know, initially, like, they hype up yep. this team. Yep. But when you go on the road and there's no energy there where you had a lot of success, like, what happens at that point? Do they have a – do the videographers have a reason there? Was there no energy? There's nothing – Zero that-
1: energy. I mean, I, honestly, it was – I mean, forget Detroit Rock City. <laughs> Detroit Rock City was more like a, a city library. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. It was
0: really quiet for Really quiet. A lot. Until the Lions gave them something to cheer about. Then it got yeah. loud.
1: And it took them almost all the first half, but when they finally got a 17-0 lead, a faint let's-go Lions champ broke out. Yeah. It was kind of half-hearted and only about 20% of the crowd, but it, it sort of broke out. you got to realize this is a fan base that has been beaten over the head for like 30 years straight with the exception of that one playoff when Barry Sanders, 1991 against the Cowboys. I mean, their, their doldrums and depression goes all the way back to 1957 and their only NFL championship with Bobby Lane. And the fact that I know that is because that's the only thing the Lions have done basically in their modern existence.
0: I want to know, uh, you, you know, you being the Motown expert that you are, Paul. No. Um, <laughs> why Why were they booing Matt Prater?
1: Just probably because he left via free agency.
0: I mean, that was the weirdest thing of the day.
1: They needed something to vent the frustrations of a one-win season on until it was two wins because they were leading the entirety of the game. They had to vent on. So I guess, you know, it's funny because. (laughs) But I I didn't think they wanted him back. I was actually behind Matt Prater coming into the stadium, and he actually paused, and since we were at the very end of the line, I think I was the only guy left to talk to, and he just said, this is surreal coming in here. And then on the sideline, he's like, yeah, this is really strange being on this sideline. But it reminded me of being on the Cardinals' sideline in St. Louis in the final couple years. And I told this story on the air, to your point about the atmosphere or lack thereof, Felipe. There was a game in St. Louis where you heard the phone ring. Yeah. And it was on the opposite sideline. It was on the Rams' sideline in St. Louis. That's how utterly silent the stadium was. So to your point, yeah, there was nothing to feed off. It was 2020 all over again. I was trying to explain this to Wolf. It was B-Y-O-E all over again. Bring your own energy like the pandemic. That stadium might might as well have been empty or 5,000 fans like 2020. That's how little atmosphere there was in
2: there. Anytime you say B-Y anything, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Darren and I are on the same like ASU vibes and we used to go there. What's your go-to? What
1: would you be bringing? If there was an event tonight, what would you stop at the store and pick up, Felipe? Here probably, we
2: go. I'll probably bring some. I tasted Johnny Walker for the first time this past weekend. Uh, some whiskey, super smooth and Honestly, when you when you said by, I lost. As soon as you said by, so I like, you got to focus, shoot. Felipe. Yeah. You got to like, focus. He lost was. his focus, like one of the players. Yeah, it must really be did. the H demo. I guess so. Yeah, some yeah, so. Johnny that's Walker, yeah. you know, some smooth whiskey. That's a, that's what I would yeah. be bringing.
1: Well, look, as um, as Cliff Kingsbury said, coming off the field at halftime, and usually he's not this blunt, but he just flat out told the Fox TV sideline reporter, "We came out flat." He used the four letter F word, flat. And those are two games in which you can use that this year, Carolina and the lions. So unless you guys have anything else to say about the lions game, I think we need to zoom out here a little bit. No, I'm okay
0: with moving on.
1: I mean, let me ask you this. Okay. Beyond the energy. Yeah. What has staying power? For example, do the Cardinals need to reinvent this offense minus Deandre Hopkins. And as you think about that, I'll just throw out the LA Rams had a losing skid after they lost Robert Woods yes, and they lost three games in a row. And, To hear the people and the analysts that we talked to before the Cardinals-Rams game on Monday night, Robert Woods may not have been their best receiver, that's Cooper Cup, but he was the most crucial, integral guy on that offense. Sort of like what an Anquan Bolden Mm -hmm. used to be, the Arizona Cardinals, even though Larry got most of the headlines. Yeah. And, and and at some point, Sean McVay said, you know what? I can no longer run all these three and four wide receiver sets, which he was doing at the highest percentage of any team, any offense in the NFL. And he said, I have to reinvent this thing. So he went back and he said, okay, Sony Michel, you're in because Daryl Henderson doesn't break enough arm tackles. We're going to run this thing straight ahead between the tackles. We're going back to the Todd Gurley days. And that's how the Rams have sort of regained some of their form, some of their clout, if you will, so Felipe. So now – Do the Cardinals need to do the same thing? Do they need to put this offense up on blocks in the garage and tinker with it a little?
0: I think that's a tough question. I think they've played so many games without DeAndre Hopkins. I don't don't think they do. And honestly, I think they're in a much better shape because I think because of James Conner and because of Chase Edmonds, they've already kind of leaned that way. Now, do they need to remember that part of it? Yes. Do they need the quarterback? You know, I... One thing I thought of, of Kyler, and this goes back to Cliff and multiple people talking about the offense. And in my opinion, Kyler Murray in particular, pressing overly. I mean, when, when Cliff Kingsbury said after the game, we have to remember there are no 17 point touchdowns. Kyler Murray was the first person I thought of. And I don't know if you could see it down on the field, Paul, or even heard about it, but I know sitting up in the press box and watching that game unfold live, uh, were there some plays down the field that Kyler ended up making happen he absolutely did I felt like there were a lot of plays closer to home closer to line of scrimmage that would have gotten him anywhere from six to 12 yards that he passed up on because he was looking for the chunk play every single time um, the great example was the interception I mean he had a guy right right in front of him that would have gotten him eight to ten yards and he waited and decided, I'm going to try and get this out route to A.J. Green, gets picked off. Uh, There was a fourth down play, or maybe it was third, whatever it was, where he had Christian Kirk wide open on a crosser. Now, he was short of the sticks, but he was so far ahead of his guy that if he just dumps it to Christian Kirk across the middle, he's getting the first down, and he tried something further down the field that had no chance. Or was way off, I felt like his accuracy was way weird, too. So, you know, I just, I feel like when you talk about adjusting the offense i don't think it needs to be adjusted i think it needs to be executed a little bit cleaner yeah. if, if that makes any sense to you
1: so when chase edmonds tells the media to start this week at the very end of his press conference because it kind of seemed like a pre-written talking point that he came up with okay when he told the media that the arizona cardinals have the running back who's number two in rushing yeah. touchdowns in the nfl and the running back who's number one in yards per carry do you think that was sort of a uh, disguised, sort of uh, you know, message to the decision makers? I mean, that we need to run the ball let's, more.
0: Let's also remember who, who, who said we were pressing. Starting with me, the head coach. He said it twice. He said it after the game. He said it again Monday. I felt like we were pressing, and that started with me with a play calling. And I do feel like there was a little bit of that. I mean.
1: He, when did, you, he did say on his TV show that we needed a spark, and it's almost like he was trying to provide the spark with the play calling.
0: And and that's – I mean, take take the initial failed fourth and goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had first and goal at the six. They get down to the three before turning the ball over, and then, of course, they go on the, the touchdown drive. And that, that to me, that's the game right there. You finally get a good drive. You can't punch it into the end zone. You get no points. And then right before halftime, you let them go 97 yards for a touchdown. Can't happen. But, that whole sequence – let me just finish yeah, real quick. Sorry. But no, it's all right. But I will say that what I keep remembering from those four, and, you know, again, I'm willing – Cliff Kingsbury has earned some elbow room here in my opinion. I know not every fan feels that way. But I will say I was surprised that of those four plays, once you got first and goal at the six, none of them included James Conner with the ball.
1: And they all went east-west instead of north-south
2: yeah. for the most part. It was a random more uh yeah, it was then?
1: Rondell Moore. I have it here on my notes and then it was uh Christian, Christian Kirk, Kirk on the jet sweep. He did a miraculous job to get 3 yards yeah. because he was dodging guys in the backfield yeah. and, and then there was you. uh it was incomplete to AJ Green on third down. And then at that point, just my opinion, you're down 10 nothing. You have a chance to make it a one-score game going into half. You have a chance to actually get some points, get a reward, get some positive feeling. At that point, fourth and goal from the 3, I take the field goal. I just do. Maybe that's old school, but you want to make it a one-score game and then come out, you have the ball to start the second half, and to me, that is the start of the of a new game. But it didn't work out that way. Antoine Wesley, who, look, he's an effort guy. He might have some upside. He's most definitely not DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> he's not a number one receiver. So you went to him a couple times in clutch moments, but guess what? He's not going to come down with it most of the time, like a DeAndre Hopkins did a couple weeks earlier in Chicago on fourth and two from the 20, and then boom, he pulls it down at the pylon. That's
2: not Antoine Wesley. But I mean, you've been converting pretty willingly on fourth down throughout the course of the season. That, See, that's the thing that kind of you know scra- makes me scratch my head, because if something's been working for the first, I want to say, 13 weeks, I know against the Rams, they failed a couple of those fourth down go- conversions, but if something's been working for the majority of the season, like why would you change up what's happening? And, and and that goes to my point of they don't necessarily have to reinvent, you know, an offense without DeAndre Hopkins. And I think a a lot of the reason why they struggled to find it once again was because in the games that they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, they also didn't have Kyler Murray. You're talking about, you know, the Seahawks, the Panthers, and, and the Forty ers where they dominated. And a lot of the reason. They dominated was because of the run game. So at, I think between Chase Edmonds and James Conner, they had three rush attempts in the first half, 13 yards total on the ground. So that just goes to tell me that they just have to find that, that formula to play without a, a DeAndre Hopkins.
0: I I will say this. The rushing attempts, I know people brought up the first half. I mean – they had six plays in the first freaking quarter. I mean, you're not going to get a bunch of rushing attempts. They didn't have any plays. They didn't have any passing attempts either. And and I will say that, like, uh, can, you, can you talk about some of the play calls? I mean, even Cliff is saying, I wish I would have done some d- things differently. That's fine. I was getting Fire Vance Joseph and Cliff Kingsbury is the worst play call of all time after one drive each in the game, which is ridiculous. But, like, My question is, is like, okay, what was wrong with the play calls on the first three and out? Okay, he there was a there was a zone read, and Murray read that to keep it instead of handing it off. Mm -hmm. That's what he saw. Didn't get a lot of yards. You throw on second down to put you in a very manageable third and four. I don't see anything wrong with that. You get a bad false start penalty which makes it third and long, and then you get an incompletion. I mean, I, I don't understand what he did wrong on that first drive in particular, and I know we have a long way to go after yeah. that, but that's the kind of thing that I get frustrated on right now is like you you can't.
1: Well, look, if Kyler is pressing and the head coach, the play caller, is pressing to some degree, how much of it has to do with the offensive line? How much of it has to do with a quarterback perhaps not feeling as comfortable as he once did back there, as protected as he once did is he truly keeping his eyes downfield at all times or is half an eye on his pass protection so he doesn't get his head ripped off by either an Aaron Donald or a Charles Harris I mean he's he he doesn't have Rodney Hudson in there it was interesting because we had Kelvin Beecham on the Big Red Rage and, and we talked about a lot of different things and we brought up the absence of Rodney Hudson going into the Lions game because of COVID and he said look I love my receivers, and I love D-Hop, and there's probably no receiver better. But for me, the big loss in offense is Rodney Hudson. He's our alpha male who anchors the entire offensive line. So now if you have a backup at center, you have a guy at right guard who's been benched earlier in the year, and your pass protection isn't what it once was, guess what? The accuracy and decision-making of your quarterback is probably going to mimic your offensive line to some degree.
2: But wasn't there a lot of situations where – that specific drive was manageable i mean Kyler Murray has played under center with max garcia he's played and uh, with an offensive line that's had sean harlow at left guard he's played with josh jones at right guard and not even to mention how that detroit lions defense is not impressive at all i mean i know it might have seemed like in we in week 15 but heading into that game there's nothing, there's no one on that uh, on that defense that you can point out and say, hey, you need to protect this guy, right? So, he, Kyler Murray's played in this situation before. Again, I, I just think it goes back to him. I think K1 was pressing, you know. I, I remember that Texans game when he was wired and this was published on uh, Arizona Cardinals' YouTube channel. And I believe they, whether it was that sack that caused the safety or if he threw an interception, but he went back to sit next to Colt McCoy and he said, I just want to play turnover free. So I think that's that's where the pressing comes. That's where the pressing came on Monday Night Football. He's on primetime. He, I feel like he's putting a lot of this pressure on himself to uh, to play at a high level. And I feel like once he gets over that hump, once he gets back into rhythm, coming off that bye week, coming off that injury, I know he played Well, he threw 15 passes against the Bears. I don't think that's enough to get you back into rhythm. Once he gets over that, that mental hump, I think he'll be fine. And look, you came
1: out on the first play of the game, and Jordan Phillips sacks Jared Goff. They're behind the sticks one play into the game. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we were talking to Drew Stan about on the pregame show former Lions, former Cardinals quarterback, when you're going against a one-win team in December, you have to remove any hope, any (sighs) confidence that they have a chance. These are guys already making their postseason plans. They're booking their flights after the last regular season game. You have to let them know from the get-go you have no chance. You're a one-win team. We're a 10-win team. You can't let them build confidence.
0: I, I agree
1: Which with is that. exactly what Denver did the week before, taking a quick 14-0 lead. They have 11 first downs in the first quarter. The Lions had zero. They had 135 total yards. The Lions had negative one in the first quarter. you got to jump these teams. So you come out. You get a sack on the first snap of the game. Okay, they're behind the sticks, and all of a sudden they get a chunk run. Now it's third and manageable. They get the first down. They get two more first downs. Pretty soon it's a nine-minute drive, and they believe and they think, you know what? It's the old Rocky line from Rocky 1. He doesn't know it's a show. He thinks it's a fight. And all of a sudden, he sticks around for 15 rounds and nearly Uh, pulls it off. And and, the Lions pulled it off.
0: And that's, I think those are all fair, you know, I think those are all fair points. Uh, It doesn't happen sometimes. It just doesn't. And it's unfortunate. They were lucky enough in Jacksonville to basically do the same thing, and yet
1: they turned Come it back. on. They got down 5 nothing. They were shut in the first quarter against Houston, and what did they do? 31 unanswered. They were able to flip the switch in a couple of those games. So, you know,
0: again, it's over. Uh, you know, as you said earlier, Paul, it's it's tough to even discuss. I mean, the, the one thing you got going for you is you don't have to worry about playing a team like that the rest of the way. Uh, the next two games are against very strong opponents, The last game against Seattle, I don't know where the Seahawks are going to be mentally, uh, but I don't really care as long as as they have Russell Wilson back there. And we know how these series go. And the number of times the Cardinals were the crappy team, quote-unquote, and played a good Seahawks team and either made it a game or upset the Seahawks. I mean, I'm sure the Cardinals will know about that.
1: Seattle's won eight of the last nine in the AZ. Something ridiculous like that. Seven of the last eight in Arizona. Yeah. I mean – wasn't, last year was the second loss by Russell Wilson since he was a rookie. Right. So maybe it's seven no, of the last nine. Second loss. Seattle.
0: Since he was a rookie or the second well, loss. Including his rookie year. So I think seven. So, so we've sandwiched. Yes. So we've, we've got sandwiched Russell Wilson losses yes. Are you telling right. us, Paul. That's
1: good. Yeah. I'm just saying Seattle comes in and this is like a bowl game for them. They love playing in Arizona. They're flying around. Coach Double Rainbow has the guys all fired up. And it works. Yeah. So, to Darren's point, look, if there's one thing that gives me just great comfort and joy coming off a lackluster loss like the Motown, it's the fact I can look at the standings, I can print them out, in fact, I put them right up in my cubicle, I printed them out, and there's Seattle in last place. There's just something reassuring and comforting in this time of need when you see the Seahawks
2: in last place. But doesn't the the final team in that play in that wild card spot? Don't they only have like six wins? I believe I'm sure there's still a possibility that the Seahawks.
0: Seahawks, I believe, have to win out.
1: They're
2: well, not, maybe not. They're not mathematically out. limited. No, no,
0: not yet. Ha- nobody is no, hardly. Hardly. Yet, I think maybe the Lions. Maybe. Yeah. Um.
1: And only one team is clinched, and that's Green Bay.
0: I mean, the reality is, is right now, the Cardinals could still be caught by the 49ers and for the division lead. Now, the 49ers would have to win out, and the Cardinals would have to lose out, and
1: I don't think that's going to happen, but... Look, the Niners lost four in a row at one point. The Titans now have lost three out of four. Tampa just had a ridiculous loss. The Dolphins have won seven straight after starting, what, one in seven or 0 in seven. So, it's all about playing your best ball. The question is, can the Cardinals get back to that? I mean, Felipe, you know... We like to ask the locker room, James uh, uh, what's your confidence level? You know, <laughs> what's your confidence level the Arizona Cardinals can get back to being a team that rightfully has the best record in the NFL? Well,
2: everything's in front of them, right? We talked about it in in these first couple of minutes on this podcast, but you know, I I do I do have confidence because I had the opportunity to sit down with Jordan Hicks for a long conversation uh and I asked him, you know what, what's the difference between that Super Bowl team you were on with the Eagles mm-hmm. and the team this year because there's a lot of similarities, right? Talent, record, veteran leadership, and that's what he pointed to. He he pointed that the veterans in that locker room, they play the game with a certain amount of effort. And he he touched on the Zacherts. He touched on the Chandler Jones, the Buda Bakers, all, all the main guys – have to play better. And they have a lot of these veterans in that locker room that have been in those positions. They've been to the playoffs. They're Super Bowl champions. You talk to Chandler Jones, Max Garcia, Zach Ertz, Jordan Hicks himself. So, and and that's the biggest difference between last year and this year. You know, a lot of people like to bring up the similarities based off the struggles in these last uh, four to five weeks. But, you know, last year they didn't have a Zach Ertz. Last year they didn't have a Rodney Hudson. Last year they didn't necessarily have a J.J. Watt in the locker room. So, I think it's not too late. I think they're motivated, like I mentioned earlier, about the implications of these next three weeks. Colts clinching. You win against the Colts, you clinch a playoff berth. You beat Dallas, you're ahead of them in the standings. You beat the Seahawks, you potentially win the division with that win. So there's a lot lot on the line. I think a lot of those veterans know that in the locker room. And if there's someone that's going to lead them, it's Jordan Hicks. I mean, when something isn't going the team's way, who's talking to the media? It's Jordan Hicks being honest about how it was a game, there is uncharacteristic game. He was blunt. He was honest. So we'll just have to see if that veteran leadership really steps up. Cliff Kingsbury used the word pissed, right, to describe
1: yes. what it was like in the locker room. Um, Zach Allen told us everyone was just in a state of shock. That's what I saw. I, I didn't see – palpable anger at least I didn't witness that but I did see a lot of shock guys just sort of like okay wait a minute what just happened we just lost to the Lions and it really wasn't close uh what and and Jordan Hicks to his credit got up in the postgame press conference and there wasn't a trace of panic in fact he was remarkably matter of fact about it if you ask me so let's hope he knows something we don't and the fact that well, he I has will, his finger on the pulse of that locker room.
0: I will say this. As somebody was waiting in that uh, post-game press conference. Okay, here we go.
1: Here's the real story. Cliff.
0: Well, it's not a real story, <laughs> but I'm just saying Cliff Kingsbury came in fairly soon after the game. Did his five or so minutes because that's, you know, that's what else is there to say. And then we waited a long time before any players came through. Mm. And Jordan Hicks was the first of the last three. It was Hicks and then Ertz after a long time and then another long period of time before kyler came in and uh i think one of the reasons jordan was able to be so matter of fact is because there was definitely a let's let's take some time to right. get our thoughts among us
1: yeah cool down period because el grande i don't
0: i don't think the message would have been exactly the same had we if it had been a regular situation without covid and we would have been able to get in the locker room. I feel like we might have gotten some different things and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm yep. I, I can live with the fact that they they the cool down but um that was that was a game that I think there was a state of shock but I also think uh they kind of had to get their wits about them before going public.
1: Well, this team was constructed in the off season with leadership in mind, obviously. There were a lot of boxes they wanted to check, physicality, but leadership was a big one and to me, this is where it's critical. It comes from the inside out. I, I Honestly, at one point, I felt sorry for anyone who would be the play caller, in this case, Clef Kingsbury, when you're looking behind you, and their entire team sitting on the bench. You know, I, I joked on the air. I said, does somebody want me to go out to the team bus, get the jumper cables? I can run the jumper cables. Everyone sit on the metal bench. Okay, everyone's sitting on the metal bench. Let's hook up the jumper cables. Hal, go ahead, start up the team bus and hit the gas. Because if I'm Cliff Kingsbury and I got my laminated play sheet, I know you love it when I do that, Felipe. And I'm like, <laughs> what exactly do I call that's gonna work if I don't have the energy and the guy's coming off the ball to make nothing, virtually nothing? And that's where I, I think the play caller starts pressing. I
2: go, mm-hmm. oh, man, well, what do I do here? Aren't laminated things? They don't make that noise. Yeah. Though, Once right? again, work with me, okay? Like, it's a nah, holiday. Just, so. <laughs> your
1: gift to me. This holiday season could just be work
2: with me, okay? It's theater of the mind. You. You, you've learned no cap and use <laughs> clout right. often. You I know, drop we... clout.
1: I still can't say no cap without everyone laughing, but, you know, it's a process.
0: I just I'm, – I'm having these horrible flashbacks because you keep talking about the energy thing, and I am thinking, Felipe, you were not privy to this last year, but I, I, I keep thinking back to all the damn Zoom uh, podcasts that we did and all that stuff where, like – every week and maybe we weren't on zoom maybe we weren't here by then but i don't remember but every week where paul was talking about i was down on the field and there was no energy And i was down on the field and there was no energy and i was down on the field and there was no energy and he wasn't wrong but it was just like oh my god i was hoping to never go through
1: that again it's true we're all sick of hearing me say it including myself you're absolutely right let's let's bottom line that so let's hope that's not a an element of any of these last three games as felipe said we'll find out because if it is they're toast i mean johnny if Craig Reynolds rap can come in and run for 112 yards, what is Jonathan Taylor going to do as the leading rusher in the NFL, maybe the leading MVP candidate after Tom Brady and company, Tommy, just took a face plant. And so, boom, <laughs> he comes in here. I mean, it, it, not only does he have the power, and he's breaking every single arm tackle, and he's running through the A and B gaps, but he hit the fastest achieved miles per hour of any ball carrier this year at over 22 miles per hour. This dude is the real deal. The complete package is a running back. Yes,
0: he's he's absolutely oh. the real deal as the running
1: right. back, and, it, and which heightens the urgency because once again you're on national TV and the potential to get embarrassed is
0: huge if you don't bring it. Okay, so here's my question to you guys. I, I was talking to somebody who will go nameless, but it is not somebody in the building. Okay, so it has nothing. Somebody who has nothing to do with the Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, what,
1: what'd your dad have to say? <laughs> no, go ahead. Unfortunately, my dad passed. Away oh
0: no, nice. oh, <laughs> oh no!
2: Oh no! Wow, that was my only hope. I, I almost, that was my only hope. I almost hope. didn't.
0: I almost <laughs> didn't say something because I know Paul meant nothing bad by it, and I'm really I'm not offended in the least. This I just this this it is where fun. we established I last week that Darren and I don't
1: talk enough off mic, and this is a big. This is proof. All right, wa- this, is, this is a downfall. You, that. you
0: want you want to hear? I'm going to tell a quick, a quick funny story. I'm, even even my dad would probably appreciate this. So, my dad my dad's been gone for ten years now, and um, he he had cancer, and uh, he was in hospice, and uh, and I can tell this story because enough time has gone by, and I, because I'm an idiot, and my wife still looks at me funny because of this whole thing. He passed away about two weeks before the 2011 draft and i get the call that unfortunately i was not there when he passed i was literally 20 minutes away from going over i had left work gone home i was going to go over to the hospice and i get the call from one of my brothers that he passed away so i drive over there and i get i get to the parking lot of the hospice and i get out and my phone rings and I see a out-of-state number, and I'm thinking maybe it's one of his sisters. I don't know. I don't even really even think about it, so I answer. And God bless him. It was Jeff Hobson, who works for Bengals.com, who was calling me about a pick for his mock draft. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, literally, my dad is just... Now, again, I knew my dad was going to go sooner rather than later, so I was not in a horribly emotional part. I was much more feeling awkward about having to tell anybody I need to go because literally my dad just passed away. So I didn't. So I literally was on the phone for like five minutes talking to Jeff about who I would take as the Cardinals with the fifth pick in his mock draft, because I didn't want to talk about my dad just having passed away. My my wife parked few cars away from me while I'm on the phone. I'm like kind of straddling my door and uh, she comes up on me and she sees me on the phone and apparently, I think he was talking to me at that point. So I'm not saying anything. So she comes up, she's got that look on her face, like, I'm so sorry, assuming I'm talking to somebody in the family (laughs) and the first words out of my mouth were something like, well, I think the Cardinals are going to take Patrick Peterson cuz oh. I don't think there's a quarterback high oh, no. enough and the look she gave me oh, no. was like you MF-er. Oh, how boy. dare you oh, be on the phone about this <laughs> I got off and I'm like there was nothing I could do it was awkward I didn't want to say da- I it was just so long story short I there's nothing you could do to offend me in this situation Paul <laughs> Yeah notice I'm,
1: I I'm not interjecting I, I anymore have, at all I have
0: obviously <laughs> I don't even remember why he... Oh, my story. <laughs> you said John, you were talking to someone that Jonathan was nameless. Taylor. Okay, I'm going to out him. He, he's in my son, my younger son. Says, here's the deal, Dad. He goes, I saw, I saw what the Cardinals did against Derrick Henry. He goes, it's either gonna, they're either going to give up 50 yards to Jonathan Taylor or 200. <laughs> and I said, well, I sure hope it's 50 And I guess going back to what you were originally saying, if I didn't completely derail this whole podcast and Paul's going to be all, like, crying in his milk later. But (laughs) I I will say that I think this team is capable of coming up with a game plan to working with the Jonathan Taylor problem. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to do nothing. But but even uh, – oh, and I'm drawing a blank on the Bears running back. David Montgomery. Sure. He had a great start. He had like 60 yards in the first quarter. He finished with less than 100. Now, they got the lead, but that's doable. I mean, Jonathan Taylor can get 70 to 100 yards, and you can still win that game. Dalvin Cook ripped his team up, and I know it took a last-second field goal miss, but you beat the Vikings. It's doable to have Jonathan Taylor be okay and still win the game, but they, they've got to control that. He, he can't be the end-all, be-all. Because I don't think Carson Wentz beat you.
1: No. Uh, He had five completions against New England, and and the stat on Carson Wentz is if he throws 35 or more passes, then it's right here. 35 or more passes, then guess what? The Colts are winless this year. They are 0-5. And when he throws less than 35 passes, they are unbeaten. So it's 0-6 and 8-0 is what yeah. when he's 35 passes so, or more, 35 passes or less. So I suppose. So you, And look, God love the Bears and Matt Nagy. No one's studying their game film, okay? <laughs> so why they went away from David Montgomery in a somewhat cl- close game, I have no idea, but they did. I can tell you because Cliff Kingsbury confirmed on his TV show, he watches Colts' film a lot. He really respects Frank Reich. did and what he Reich take is one running. of his plays? Yes, it was yeah. the tight end shovel pass he r- ripped off yeah. from the Colts' playbook to Zach Ertz. And so I just don't see Frank Reich abandoning the run (laughs) with Jonathan Taylor. Not with that offensive line. And And by the way, if it's third and one, fourth and one, and you're sensing a quarterback sneak, get ready. Because they did it three times, maybe four times against the Patriots. And every single time Carson Wentz at 6'5", 200-something, went right behind Quentin Nelson, they're all pro left guard. It's a good play. Absolutely. (laughs) It's like, here it comes. Try and stop this. Because that's where he's going. So I'm just saying it right now. Get ready for a few quarterback sneaks in this game
2: behind Quentin Nelson. Uh, go ahead, Felipe. I was going to say the only concern I have is the Colts have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, right? You yep. mentioned Dang. And this Cardinals defensive line who have been struggling against the run all throughout the season are without – obviously JJ J. Watt Jordan Phillips is day to day
0: I'm thinking J. I'm I'm thinking it might be a long shot for Jordan Phillips for Jordan too. Phillips so now you're
2: you're potentially out with, without Jordan Phillips now you're really depending on a core interior defensive line Richard Lawrence Zach Allen like vote to to really essentially limit Jonathan Taylor. I don't think you're going to stop Jonathan Taylor completely. Like he's still uh, – my assumption is he's going to get a touchdown, whether it's through air or on the ground. He's going to get you 60-plus rushing yards. But you really have to limit him. And he ran, what, 75 – I was reading he had like 74.5% of the Colts' plays in Week 15 were run plays. So that means (laughs) they're running the ball old school a a a a ton. So now you have to depend on – Younger interior defensive lineman, and that's going to be where leadership, in my opinion, comes into play. I, I, that or an eight or nine man box, yeah, right? I,
0: I, I think one of the most underrated post game quotes, and and again, everybody was paying attention to, you know, the overall big picture of what the hell happened after the Lions. But I think one of the underrated quotes of the post game was Zach Ertz when he started talking about, and and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm fairly close, and he basically said, this is a team and a defense that's built on us getting a lead. And I think that's absolutely true. I think this defense, as weird as it sounds, because your defense is your defense, I think this defense is much better playing with a lead than it is trying to hold up and, and save possessions for this offense the offense has to score and this Colts defense is no joke either they're pretty good and uh
1: by the way New England's first six possessions two punts two picks a punt block for touchdown and then a turnover on downs
0: you you cannot turn the ball over and 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 one of the reasons the Colts have lost and when they get in trouble with Wentz throwing all those times is because Wentz makes mistakes yep whether it's a fumble or an interception so I, I agree with Ertz this offense has got to figure out a way to get a lead and, and let the defense do what it does. Uh,
1: by the way, Zach Ertz also had something else to say, and we talked about that on Monday when I was on with Wolf, and we said, yeah, this defense you know, is built to play with a lead. There's no doubt about it. Zach Ertz also said, and I quote, we can't let this thing spiral. Momentum is real in the NFL, oh, good and bad.
0: I thought of Kyle, and I thought he, he'd come to blows with Zach Ertz. They don't even know each other but.
1: Momentum is real in the NFL. I mean, tell me you didn't think of Kyle. Absolutely. I said, that's a bad day right there for the analytics-only crowd because last I checked, there doesn't seem to be a column in analytics for momentum. So uh, guess what? Uh, that's problematic when uh, the players don't totally believe in the analytics. And so they're the ones playing the game and momentum. Uh, to deny momentum in a game – uh, is akin to being a conspiracy
2: theorist, right? So uh, you know, I'm Wait, just saying. Wait, so Kyle doesn't believe in momentum? Nope,
0: he says it does not exist, and he's not the only one. There's lots of people oh, yeah. that say yeah. that. But it's, don't, it's the
2: backbone of the movement. Isn't one of the biggest like theories or not theories, but sayings, heading into the postseason, you have to be peaking? Like, don't isn't that a thing? It, yes, is that
1: every team's plan to entering the postseason to be playing your best ball? Absolutely. To the point where it's a cliche, yes. So
2: that's momentum. That's momentum. I mean, I
0: guess that's an argument of momentum. See, I think what Kyle comes in with the momentum thing is his big issue with momentum is, and this is a great example, okay, the Lions game. If the Cardinals had executed after recovering that fumble, um, everybody would have been talking about momentum, and everybody was talking about oh this this might be the momentum they need they get that fumble but then he throws the interception it's like they just didn't execute and and honestly i do get where Kyle's coming from it, kyle's got kyler's got to execute that pass that has nothing to do with momentum momentum didn't help him execute the ca- pass i mean supposedly the lions were reeling after that fumble recovery and the cardinals had a chance to make it a one score game and instead they get an unbelievable play and for kyle it comes down to guys making plays. I forget who made the interception for the Lions and I'm pretty sure it's a name that I was going to have trouble pronouncing anyways, yeah. but I mean, he just made a fantastic play. So, what does momentum have to do with it?
2: Didn't the Lions score right after that? That gave them, I mean, that essentially gave the Lions... But see,
0: that's that's what you're saying is momentum, but it's like, I think back in 2008, even though the Cardinals won their last game in Seattle, they didn't have really any kind of momentum heading into that playoffs, but yet they they won a big game and then it helped them and you know again they they won in Carolina not because they had momentum they won in Carolina because Jake DeLoma had the worst game he had ever played so right
1: well look do I believe in momentum week to week no not really but momentum in a game perhaps for example you get a fourth down stop like the Lions did At the goal line or at the three, and then all of a sudden the building comes alive. Yeah. And all of a sudden the players are playing a little bit harder. Are you a different employee at work when you're working a little bit harder? Are you a little more productive? Do you execute a little better? When I come on the podcast, yeah. When the boss is over your shoulder, when the boss is over your shoulder, this is for anyone in any job at any time ever. Are you a little more productive when maybe the boss is in the room than when you're just by yourself completing a Friday? Absolutely you are. So these players view this as their job. They're not robots. They're not programmed to the same effort level at all times. I agree with that. And at different points in different games, there's going to be different levels of effort. Like we just saw almost the entirety of the game or lack thereof against the Lions.
2: But the boss was there the whole time. So I'm trying to understand your example. The boss is there every
1: week. Well, here's the thing, though. There's comfort in numbers. So when everybody... Is lackluster, then guess what? It's easier for you to be suboptimal as well, is it not? There were only a few guys really on the sideline. You want me to name names? There were a few guys yeah. on the sideline who got really animated and who really tried to break out the jumper cables. Can I guess? Before Figuratively.
2: You, can I guess? Before you. Yeah, go ahead. Can I guess Marcus Golden? <laughs> yes. 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 You're right. <laughs> That's low hanging <laughs> yeah. fruit. Okay. Oh, sorry, there All are right. three though. He's he's only okay. he's only uh, a third uh, of the guess, way there. Uh. Buda Baker, No.
1: not that I saw. He might have at different times. Not that I saw. Can but I have a guess at one yeah, of the three? That's the last one right.
0: Dennis Gardek?
1: You know, <laughs> I thought honestly, I thought Gardeck. On one hand, he was among the guys who played the hardest, and he, you know, I really noticed Ready him for the first time on defense all year, and then he got 18 defensive snaps. But yeah. I didn't see him with any sort of you working know, I'm the sideline. To line. know this yeah. now, I got one right. So,
0: well, well I, 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 I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of who might be who,
1: – who are the Who's other – Who's arguably the best interview on the team who might have just met the media? Yeah, that's a good oh, guess, Chase? but it wasn't him. Chase Edmonds. Okay. Chase Edmonds was a guy. And the last one you probably won't get. But towards the end of the game, he was on one knee addressing all the defensive linemen. And it was almost like role reversal. All the veteran defensive linemen on the team. And there was Zach Allen all on right. one knee talking to every one of the guys – and we'll see. He was wired up, by the way. He was miked up. So I'm very curious if that made the final cut, if that's going to be in the wired, because the visual was really telling and really impressive for a guy in his third year who now is a stalwart. He's getting a lot more defensive snaps at D-tackle than any other defensive lineman minus J.J. Watt. He really is the work, getting the workman's yes. load up there on, and the defensive yes. front.
0: He is by far he's their number two. Two behind right. JJ, and and who knows? Maybe he'd be playing more snaps than even right. JJ at this point.
1: And, and, and as we always we've heard forever, right? You can't lead if you can't play. So also now, true. Now that he's playing a lot of snaps and he's being productive, he's growing into that leadership role. He's a great interview. He met the media. He is uh, a great interview, you know. And so I um,
0: apologize, Zach, for not thinking of you when Paul said great interview.
1: And he's the guy who last week said we can't hide behind what we've done. Yeah, we're ten and three. We can't hide. Kelvin Beechram was the one who went on the Big Red Rage and said they had talked about it all week in the locker room, which is why it made it even more surprising in Detroit when Kelvin Beechram dropped a Wall Street reference, and he said, past performance does not equate to future results. And this team has to learn that. And I think Chase was a guy who tried to express some of that, right, again with the media, and I think he hopes his teammates were listening to him in the press conference this week when he said, yeah, we fell flat on our face last year, and it can't happen again.
2: Well, is, isn't is that offense – well, I'm pretty sure they're going to be relieved to have a – they had Chase Edmonds healthy in Week 15, but, you know, that was, he was getting into rhythm and getting a taste for it once again. But moving forward, I feel like this offense, when we talk about peaking, they've peaked when Chase Edmonds and James Conner are being effective in the roles that they have in that offensive. Am, am I mistaken there?
0: I mean I- – i i i agree when those two are at full strength this team played its best uh i do agree with that and i do with i do think in a lot of ways with deandre hopkins out that's where they're going to have to lean and and again i think that goes back to a little bit and and that saying leaning does not mean all of a sudden they're going to run 40 times a game and be the colts that's no, I'm not saying that. But both those guys, obviously with the way James Conner has played, both those guys are excellent receivers. So if if you're getting a quote-unquote extended handoff on a little swing pass out of the backfield, all the better. You know, that's that's fine with me. Um, look, they. I, I think this week, uh, like I said, I think they need to get the rhythm. They need to be smart. They can't panic if the Colts go up 7 nothing or 10 nothing. although I know the fans probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to get a little bit better up front. Uh, Arnold Donald oh. caused a lot of problems, and then Detroit, whether they were bringing blitzes or whatever it was, there was a protection issue and a run block issue some of the time. They did get free for a lot of runs, but when Kyler had to run some of the times. Now, some of that was Kyler's fault. Mm. Again, there were times, absolutely, when I'm watching from above, where Kyler started scrambling, looking around, and if he just would have thrown the immediate throw, he would have gotten his 7 to 10 yards. Um, but but again, that's where all this rhythm and click comes in, and I do wonder a little bit about Kyler finding that rhythm after all that time off. I mean, is he still trying to figure that out a little bit? I, I wonder that.
1: And can I add to the list, the, the, the Christmas wish list, okay, if we're writing, Dear Santa, um, can you restore the pass rush? Because I think it's taken a toll on the secondary. Not only are you yeah. minus Alford right now, and we don't know the future of Robert Alford, nope. a critical piece of your secondary, but it's two straight games. They've given up an inordinate amount of big plays, something we did not see up until the Monday night game against the Rams when they had forty, they had three plays of 40-plus yards, and the Cardinals had given up three plays all season at that point of 40-plus yards. And now all of a sudden the big plays are becoming a big problem for this defense. Yeah. It's not just the run defense. And as we all know, uh, that goes hand-in-hand hand with the pass rush, and that hasn't exactly been something to write home about the wow. last couple of games. So, so there yeah. you go. Okay, well uh otherwise you know uh, we'll see but uh, by the way in case you're wondering uh felipe you mentioned uh, all the rushing touchdowns by uh, jonathan taylor 11 straight games he's had a rushing touchdown the all-time record nfl history is 12 would you like to try and redeem yourself one of the two running backs to have 12 straight games of the rushing touchdown in nfl history one is recent one is not i'll give you the one that is not
0: i was gonna say has he heard of either one of them
1: I'm pretty sure he's heard of one of them cuz he's on NFL Network. Oh, okay. As a commentator. LT. There you go. There Ladanian you go. Thomason. there's a ding. The other one, John Riggins.
2: Mm. So, oh, shoot, I, I that knew John. that. I knew that one. Come <laughs> on, man. That was that was the second one that I was thinking I about. I knew that
0: one. I don't, yeah. I don't even think I would have guessed Riggins. I probably would have gone
1: Jim Brown. By the way, do you have any of that Johnny? What was it, Johnny Walker? You yeah. said. Do, you, do you have a Do you have a fresh bottle? Because I feel like I owe Darren a Christmas gift now. I really no, do. After uh, no, my no. brutal gaff today, no. there needs to be something in a box with a bow on it for Darren.
2: How you didn't know? <laughs> when it comes to whiskey, it depends on your level of tolerance, mm. because this is right. this is something you drink on the rocks. You know, it's not a mix or anything. It's straight Johnny Walker. It's a little. You pour a little bit into a glass. You sip it, nice and cool, especially if you're cold. Uh so depends on your For a guy who just discovered it he's, he's pretty I was well say. Yeah,
1: okay. say. you know. And speaking of tolerance, you, uh, I would say zero tolerance. Sort of like zero tolerance for a lot of other things in the world these days. Do you
0: do drink? Do you drink, Paul? Rarely. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I don't no, think you're drinking. Yeah,
1: yeah. Two beers, uh three, uh t- it's like taking the lock off a cage. So just stick with two. <laughs> no more than two, uh, or also guaranteed headache the next morning. So uh oh, yeah, don't good. uh <laughs> If you ever s- Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of reasons you take my car keys. That's one of them. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes, there you go. Saving me from myself. (laughs) Thank you, Darren Urban on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.
0: Love you, Dad.